she's she's not i've seen her she's she's never been able to do this yeah so, i don't know how much of that we could use probably it's none really of it good. but it's good shit hey now we'll see how we go there it is <laughs> um, you love recording 10 minutes of cold open only to use four or five seconds oh yeah right at the end of oh, it oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah really yeah. good um how, how long have we been recording for uh, eight minutes, twenty-one seconds. Okay, cool. Twenty-three seconds. Okay, fine. Twenty-five. All right, got it. Thank you. <laughs> Is that a good call? <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Welcome once again aboard Beef Station. Join us as we rocket through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. Uh, and I can only just remember that I'm Andrew because fuck, it's been a while. Here we it? are. We're back. We're back. Uh, not oh, going to mention the we're schedule. We're so fucking back. Baby. Oh, we're back. Don't call it a comeback. We've been here for years. Mm. Five years, apparently. Yeah, true. I we just, got a uh, Facebook memory. Yeah, a little Facebook memory of me, like, I was going to say soft launching it, hard launching it. Uh, <laughs> uh, five years ago, apparently. Uh, five years ago is when I teased our original shitty, shitty logo. Hey. Bullshit, terrible hey. logo. I've got an extremely good feedback on that logo. Thank you very much. <laughs> so there you go. Um, Still Felt like a real rat bag sending it to the graphic designer that did our actual logo, Tommy Daslow, famed yeah. from Little Dum Dum Club. And uh, just saying, hey, can you do exactly this, Yeah, but better because you have the tools and, and we don't. And what he did was like actually not very similar at all. Yeah. Um, it was a little different, but I do like it. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway. Here we are, back again. Uh, this week's another one where we haven't really watched the same big common movie for the end of the show, no, but we felt yeah. like a long, long enough has passed that we'll be able to come up with something. We've been watching a lot of... TV and bullshit. The, the, the small, smaller silver screen. <laughs> what do they call TV? Is the box. A, yeah, the box. Oh, the idiot watching, box. I've been watching the box, all right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. What do you, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by what do you mean? <laughs> Box is a slang term for vagina, Oscar, so I was... That's what I was asking. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, All there right. you go. And I'm answering your question. Okay, great. Um, so, I've been watching a lot of vagina. <laughs> I've got a little story to kick off the show. <clears throat> I know I just told one, but I've... Uh, on the, col- the co- It's a cold yeah, open one. Yeah, you've just told one that we can't use. No, okay. <laughs> great. Here's another one. So, um, there's a there's a local pub bar in Canberra called Sideway, and they have lots of band nights and gigs and stuff, and it's mm-hmm. got a bit of a gritty kind of vibe. And the, the used bathroom. to be Shooters, for those of you who are did it? over 30. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I've never been in Shooters. Yeah. Did, you, did, you have a, did you go to Shooters when we were like 19? I, I remember I a story. once, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I thought shots in ACT were illegal, because I'd done like some RSA. Mm. And then, yeah, Shooters, I remember getting up there and like, obviously, Shooters, it's in the name. Yeah. But... um. Yeah, I just watched them cleaning like racks and racks and racks <laughs> of shot glasses. And I was like, yeah. oh, this place is breaking the rules. <laughs> but yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, I was at Sideway um, seeing a few bands. Yeah. Uh, and then the bathrooms, like the urinal area in the bathrooms is just like absolutely covered in graffiti. Yeah, like, it's like, it's one of those ones where like there's no space on the walls because there's yeah. graffiti and where there's no graffiti, there's like band stickers and posters and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I was like standing at the urinal uh, and I sort of like tilted my head back what in the most, doing? just like peeing, but oh. I, sort of, I sort of like stood there like and tilted my head back in like, in like a, oh, kind of pose in just like the most, what felt like a really organic, natural way. And then I sort of had my head cocked back, leaning against the back of my That's shoulders. The, I've had three beers. Yeah. And this is the best piss of my life. They're like breaking the seal. Like, yeah, exactly. Uh, it, was, it was exactly that. Yeah. Uh, and then I, 
I le- leant back and then opened my eyes and smack bang in the center of my vision <laughs> was this little cartoon smiley face, this little gremlin guy, yeah. and someone had written piss well with a big <laughs> smiley and circled it. <laughs> <laughs> That's you. That's your name. But like, Pisswell. Per- perfectly in the center of my yeah, vision. Yeah, and it yeah. was this beautiful moment because I felt like, man, this is this beautiful moment that I'm sharing with this stranger that I'm standing where they're pissing exactly where they had been pissing before. Yep. And I'm I'm not special. You're, you've I'm connected just a small with some... cog in a big universe. Yeah, yeah. It You're was... connecting with the shared universal experience. Exactly. It yeah. was like standing in this like centuries old European church yeah. and thinking about the generations of people who'd stood exactly where I yeah. was. A little bit of uh, ennui. <laughs> on 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 weeing. And so that I've got I've got a little huh? photo on, on weeing. weeing. There's there's the piss well graffiti. Nice. Oh, it's real dodgy too. It looks a little uh, shades of Invader Zim in that uh, oh, yeah, little cartoon. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I thought I'd share that. You know. That's great. You're not special. That's You're a lovely a, moment for it you. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It was lovely. It yeah. really made me laugh. Yeah. Hey. Everybody pisses. And I thought you know what I mean? I can think of twenty five to thirty people who would enjoy this story. Yeah. <laughs> The host of uh, the the uh, the listeners of our podcast, oh, yeah. little little piss fiends that you are, <laughs> thought you'd really relate to that one. Yeah. Oh man, the number of people that accost me on the street with stories of their piss. Mm. Yeah, they come up to us. Are you guys that that podcast where it's ostensibly about movies, but you just mostly <laughs> talk about piss for the first forty minutes? Yeah, buddy. Do you want a photo? Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Don't touch me. Yeah. Get away from me. Oh. Your podcast is weird, and you should stop. <laughs> One step ahead time. of you, brother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're three weeks away from stopping at all times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Every episode, last episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. So, do you want to... Oh, okay. We're bringing back... An old segment. An age-old segment that yeah. we have not done for a little while. And much in keeping with what we were just talking about, it's not related to film. No. Or it could be, but it it's not be. likely to be. It might be. Yeah, it I wonder might if be. it is likely to be. Uh, probably not, given the vast amount of human knowledge. No, but, but like in terms of like public figures and stuff. Yeah, that's um, true. Yeah. So, so we're doing a, we're, we're doing a, I don't know if we came up with a meat-related pun for it. We were real big on those back in the day, but this yeah, is- Yeah, I don't think so. Andrew's uh, weekly segment, random Wikipedia page. Yeah, lovely. Okay, so I've pulled up the Wikipedia homepage. So- English. The previous one we did for this, we hit random and we got like a regional Italian soccer team. Yes, that's right. I think so. All right. Yeah. So I've got the random button- I'm right. hitting random. Fuck okay, me up. here we go. Jacopo Tiopolo. <laughs> okay, hold on. Okay. So I assume this is like a city? Uh no, a this town? is a famous figure. Damn. His Jacopo, first name is Jacopo? Yeah. Or maybe what a name. perhaps uh Jacopo. Jacopo. Uh Okay. Okay, shortly all right, we got some some ambiguity in the dates, but shortly before eleven seventy through Damn. till uh, we got a death date, the 19th of July, 1249. So, my man actually lived a while. Interesting that a thousand years ago, they know exactly when he died, but yeah. have no idea when he was born. Yeah. I think, yeah. They, I suppose it's fair enough if he became famous. I think also, yeah, exactly. They would record when you died. But also back then, I think until... Baptisms and christenings and stuff? I don't know. Nah, maybe. But also, I, I think so many children just fucking died <laughs> like really early in yeah, their childhood right. they're real until you made it to like, like two or three yeah exactly yeah. until you made it to like one they were like it's not really a guy yet you know what i mean yeah all right uh okay i don't know how to okay uh also known as giacomo tiepolo was basically the, the same name was <laughs> a doge of venice <laughs> 
Oh, I've heard of this. This is um Do- Doge. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like the ruler, like the mayor, the king, the prince of like Venice or whatever. Yeah. I've heard of this. I think this was part of um uh I th- I think the Doge is referenced in uh the Da Vinci Code. Oh, well that would make sense. Okay. So I think I think it's I think it would be pronounced Doge. Doge de Venezia. Um, from 1229 to 1249, he had previously served as the yeah. first a Venetian Duke. Yeah, first Venetian Duke of Crete, and two terms as Podesta of Constantinople. Twice, Motherfucker got around. He did twice as governor of Treviso, and three times as ambassador to the Holy See. Damn, has he got a claim? Okay, so <laughs> they call it okay. His dogate, <laughs> Do- dojat, dojate was marked by major domestic oh, reforms, right. yeah, okay. including right. the codification of civil law and the establishment of the Venetian Senate, but also against a mounting conflict with Emperor Frederick II, which broke into an open war from Damn. 1239 to 1245. Damn. So there you go. The mid-1200s. Want, want to hear about his early life and career? Yes. All right. Uh, he was the son of Pietro Tiepolo of the San Ermagora Parish in Venice. Great. The identity of his mother is unknown. And who cares? Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. As it should be. As is the date <laughs> of his birth, but it was likely in the late 16, uh, 1160s. Okay, so 1160s. And then when does he become the Doge Okay, so of Venice? Uh, he was elected... Doge on the 6th of March, 1229. What the fuck? So, so he's like six... Pretty old, yeah. He's like 69... Nice. Nice. Hell yeah, dog. <laughs> so he's old by the time he gets in back. 69, he should be fucking dead. In, right. in 1200, 69 years yeah, old, he's supposed to be dead. old as fuck, yeah. This is like, this is like in the Bible while. where it says like Abraham was like 400 years old. Yeah, right? yeah, bullshit. yeah, yeah. Um, Tiepolo's Dojet... Brought significant change to Venice. The new Doge promulgated Doge promulgated new laws on commerce, criminal law, and codified civil law into Damn. the 1249 Statum Novum. Ciepolo greatly expanded the ruling class of the Republic, extending the voting right to the merchant class from which he <laughs> himself had come. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Uh, real bad guy. The Great Council of Venice increases in importance under his rule, and the Venetian Senate was established. Um, let's see, foreign policy. In foreign affairs, Tiepolo continued his predecessor's policy of safeguarding the overseas possessions secured after the Fourth Crusade. In the year 1200 as well, by the way, foreign policy, like, the entire fucking planet is just the Mediterranean. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah. (laughs) I know dates of Roman Empire. For these motherfuckers, foreign policy is just like, what the hell are we going to say to the Greeks on the weekend? Yeah. that's, That's their whole foreign policy. Um, okay, I'm skimming through and... Have we got a photo of this guy or a sketch or something, boring. by the way? Yeah, we can get a little picky up. Uh, this is him. Damn, he looks fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He looks like William... He's real. He looks got like a real that, fucko. He looks like that picture of William the Conqueror that you see in, like, a famous, like, tapestry. He does, yeah. This yeah. is very classic kind of, um... Dark Ages, whatever, like, yeah, 1200 and it looks like maybe it was painted on stone or something. And that, he's got a... Uh, what looks to be an eagle next to him. Doesn't look anything like him. That just looks like some generic guy. And mm. they were like, oh, we have to... It's one of those ones where it's like, you know it's the Doge because he's wearing purple and there's an eagle next to him. Okay, like here that. you go. This is a different style of artwork. Uh, right. I like this one a lot better, I think. 
Damn, it looks great. Yeah, okay, that looks like it was done in like the 1500s or something. Yeah, like yeah, could have been. No, no way is that during his lifetime. He's holding a ribbon that appears to be kind of blowing if in that the was, ring. If that was done during his wind. lifetime, how? So, so the first photo that Andy yeah. showed me is like one <laughs> of those ones. It looks like a, one it, from like the 1200s. The 1200s yeah. before they discovered perspective. Yeah, and how it's to like do a faces. Fl- yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's this flat sketch that looks like it could have been done on a tapestry. And then the second one is like Caravaggio-ass, like Renaissance era painting. And if they were done at the same time, Mm. How fucking shit, shit would you yeah, feel with yeah. first guy? Yeah, the first guy turns around his canvas and everyone's like, oh, yeah, not bad, not mm. bad. And the second guy turns around his canvas and the first guy's fuming. But then the second guy is like doing a painting of a politician from 300 years ago. Yeah, yeah. So what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, I'm not sure. Both of those, I think, were like unknown author of yeah, the right. paintings. So Wild. there you go. Oh, well, we he got anything else to give us mileage in there? Abdicated, abdicated in May 1249 and retired thereafter to his private residence at St. Agostino in San Polo. I'll bet. And then he died. No details of his death. San Polo. No chicken. Yeah, no. That would be Sans Polo, but yeah, pretty good. <laughs> good bit. Uh, he died on 12th of July. Ooh, oh, we're coming up on his death anniversary. Damn. Uh, it was buried in the church of San Zanapolo. Um, here we go. He's a bit of a hua. San Zanapolo. No Zan chicken. <laughs> <laughs> really good. <laughs> he married twice, which I didn't think you were allowed to do. Firstly, to Maria Stolato, and oh, yeah. secondly, to Valadra of Sicily. Valdrada of Sicily. Valdrada. Wow, that's a. I've never heard that name before. Yeah, right. Maria bore him four children Lorenzo, who served as Doge from 1268 to 1275. So, Hell a bit yeah. of nepotism going on there. Yeah. Uh, the aforementioned Pietro Podesto of Treviso, a son, a third son named Giovanni, who was active as military commander in the war against Frederick, and a yeah. daughter, also named Maria, who married into Great. the Gradenigio family, which is rad, so unimportant. <laughs> Valdrada bore him two children, both young at the time of their father's death, and whose identities remain unknown. She outlived her husband by around three years. Man, so there you go. this is like... 800 years ago. I know, yeah. It's crazy that we have a record of that. How do how do we have a record of that? Well, anything <laughs> Where to do are with they like writing that Vatican down? stuff, I would assume they've got like historians. Is that Vatican like, stuff? Vatican historians. Yeah, he yeah, he was um the Doge of Venice, but also, you know, he worked a lot with like codification of civil law and establishing the uh oh, Venetian Senate, <laughs> sorry. Um I mean, I would assume that anyone with any kind of like religious installation probably had a fair bit to do with um yeah. The Vatican, but no, you're right. Sorry, I was getting the Vatican and Venice confused. I was going to say, you know, you know, Venetian. <laughs> no, no, I know. I, I, um, yeah, I would assume that. I mean, I guess any like person of important political mm. regard would have gotten like records taken since we, uh, since we started writing shit down. So yeah, good yeah. stuff. Cool. Anyway, so all right. There you well, go. That was, I think I think that was a. Uh, I think that was worth revisiting. What do you reckon about thing. the rename from uh, Jacopo to Giacomo? Giacopo to Giacomo. And I'll, I'll say, uh, it's probably not coming across in my pronunciation, but uh, Giacopo, J-A-C-O-P-O. Yeah. Giacomo, G-I-A-C-O-M-O. Oh, so he's changed from a J so to a G. J to a G. G-I-A. G-I-A. Well, see, I was going to say, if it's just J to J, Giacomo, I think is my favorite. Mm. But if, you, if you're changing from J to G-I-A, Giacomo, what was it? Gia- Giacomo. Giacomo. Mm. That's great. Yeah, I like that. Giappolo to Giacomo. That's great. The, G-I- the GIA is peak Italian. Yeah. Oh, second only to the GIO of like Giovanni. Mm. I really like that shit. Not, not a sponsor, by the way. No. Um, yeah, right. We're not That's- sponsored by Italian. <laughs> <laughs> or by GIO. Oh, um, GIO, right. Yeah. <laughs> really good. 
Uh, okay. Should we jump into a bit of news? Yeah, let's do it. All right. News from not the 1100s. <laughs> <laughs> Beef Bulletin. So the first cab off the rank here I think is a really good one. Matt Damon and Ben Affleck tell Donald Trump to stop using air footage for his campaign. So Great. I think it's a Netflix film or whatever, but Matt Damon and Ben Affleck... Donald Trump's campaigns just will not stop using shit and immediately having the creators behind it going, hey, fucking cut that out. You suck. So, so... Uh, so the, the Matt Damon and Ben Affleck have come out with this movie. Ben Affleck directed it. Matt Damon's in it. I think they're both in it. Mm. And it's about the creation of the Nike Jordan Air, Nike right? sneakers. Yeah, yeah. And so this is a monologue from that movie that he's using in like a very like cinematic looking political campaign ad. And I think it's really funny to listen to this uh, and know that like Matt Damon is talking about sneakers at right. the time. So here we go. Play it now, but can we plug Let's the audio in? in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Money can buy you almost anything. It can't buy you immortality. That you have to earn. I'm going to look you in the eyes and I'm going to tell you the future. It's an American story and that's why Americans are going to love it. People are going to build you up. God, are they going to? Because when you're great and new, we love you. Man, we'll build you into something that doesn't even exist. You're going to change the fucking world. But you know what? Once they've built you as high as they possibly can, they're going to tear you back down. It's the most predictable pattern. We build you into something that doesn't exist, and that means you have to try to be that thing. All day, every day. That's how it works. And we do it again and again and again. (laughs) Like, you got the idea. But like... He's talking about shoes. <laughs> yeah, well, it's so weird for a bunch of reasons, but the weirdest thing is pairing like that really breathy tone that yeah. uh, Matt Damon is using with yeah. like a presidential. So this is over the top of like a lot of kind of footage of Trump at rallies and stuff. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, very weird. And also, extremely weird, unbelievably egotistical. <laughs> that, so crazy. And yeah. like, also, like two guys who I think are pretty vocally like. Uh, they're like Hollywood Dems, right? Pretty like left wing Democrats, yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> def- I imagine both of those were eagerly voting. Clinton. Oh yeah, so crazy for them to be like, oh, he'll <laughs> be like, oh, man, Ben will be chill with this, surely. I don't think they think that. I just think they rely like, on. Let's see how we can get Yeah, it. exactly. Because the the ad would have already run whatever. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely insane. Yeah, that's uh, crazy. What else we got? Uh, Rachel Sennett yes. is starring in a new movie yes. uh, with uh, director Emma Seligman From at the helm. Shiver Baby. Who directed Sil- Shiver Baby. Mm. Uh, this one sounds... I mean, I haven't watched the trailer because I'm pretty keen to see it. It stars uh, Ayo Edebiri From The From Bear. The Bear yep. uh, together with Rachel Sennett as high schoolers who start a fight club in their high school in order to hook up with hot cheerleaders. Great. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty keen on this. I That's think it's going to be a really good movie. Oh yeah, I mean, Shiver Baby was awesome, and yep. apparently Rachel Sanders is like co-writing this or whatever. Oh, which, cool. I mean, okay. I, I don't know. Whatever. Previous one was cool. Also found out recently that uh, Emma Seligman is younger than both of us. She's from uh, 1995, so you you really love to see it. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good one. Another one that's hotly anticipated, which isn't necessarily funny, but I saw the trailer in the cinema recently, uh, is a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 
movie mm-hmm. that's been written by Seth Rogen, and the whole art style kind of uh, is reminiscent of the Across the Spider Verse type art yeah, style. Yeah, it looks fucked. like it's drawn, painted kind it of thing. Looks to, so you're showing me a still image, but it looks to me like it's 3D animated, but well, it's very cartoony. Yeah, it's definitely digitally almost animated. like a almost like a Pixar, but more kind of like Cartoon Network type. Yeah, style. and it's yeah. got like a hand drawn kind of look to it as well. It's, yeah. I mean, I Most importantly, it's not live action, and they don't look absolutely fucked. So I, yeah, I feel like I kind of missed uh, the Ninja Turtles when I was a kid, mm. but I'm yeah, really me too. I never really got into it. I do though, kind of like fucking radioactive turtles that are ninjas. Yeah, is, is cool as fuck. Good idea. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The masters are still so rat. I'll the definitely bad go guys see like it. a brain in a jar in a suit. Yeah, yeah, really cool. A quick one here. Um, Sydney Sweeney has been for a few seasons in that show Euphoria, uh, which uh, I don't know if you're on the same subreddit as I am, but there's a few hairy gifts out there from the, from that show. Oh uh, yeah, I, I I just who's the creator of that Sam Levinson is that the creator of Euphoria? Uh, I'm not he sure, is but it's such like, a piece of shit. I've heard I've heard that he's because um, there's a new show that's come out recently that he's also involved with, uh, with the like, Weekend, right? Yeah, which is apparently fucking terrible. Yeah, yeah, Idol or Idols or something the like that. It's apparently. Yeah. T- Terrible. Yes, it's abysmal. And like Euphoria is like it's a sexy, horny show, but it's people skins, found some stuff on, to yeah, yeah, MDMA. But people found some stuff to attach to it and thought, oh, this is pretty cool. And mm. then it's two shows, and this show is also apparently horny as fuck. And people yeah. are like, oh, he's just this horny guy. Right? He, it, it, there's like <laughs> allegations against him. Like he sucks. He's oh, okay. really, no really good. fucked. Yeah. So well, I don't know. I think he's just a horrible person. <laughs> the story here is that apparently Sydney Sweeney like was like watching Euphoria when it first came out with her whole family, with her oh, mom and dad and everything no. next to her, and said uh, that she didn't prepare her dad or uncle for what the show would be like at yeah. all uh, yep. and was laughing about how they walked out which uh Oof. i think fair enough I, th- I think give the old man a heads up about that <laughs> yeah i mean i um i don't know i got shown some clips from euphoria i've never actually watched like a whole episode or something but mm. i'll say this i'm really not that invested in so it does a lot of like very flashy lighting and cinematography um not quite your baz Luhrmann's, but like you know, uh, like they'll be at a carnival and it'll do all of these like sweeping. Is this euphoria? Yeah, yeah, like all of these like sweeping, really fast, like vast kind of like movements through crowds, and so it's just always kind of always pushed so far that I don't yeah. think I really enjoy the style of it. Even if I could, I mean, it's also like so melodramatic that. I mean, I don't think I've aged out of, like, melodrama, but I think melodrama really has to be earned and have its right place. Well, and I don't think the the characters in Euphoria are what I'm after in a kind of story. I mean, I haven't watched Euphoria, but if we... I mean, you were enjoying Skins when we were teenagers. Maybe it's the sort of thing where you've just got to be a bit younger. I think Skins <laughs> is, like... Enjoy it. I think Skins is um, very grounded, and I don't think Euphoria is very grounded. And I think that really, like, the relatability of Skins comes from the fact that everyone is so grounded. And it's, I mean, you know, it was filmed on, like, a fucking, whatever, is it Channel 4 or E E something that that made Skins? It's, like, one of those British channels where they've got partially government funding, but they don't have very much money. And so it's filmed very effectively and very cleverly, but... Uh, it, it's very understated, and I think that really helps because it means that the moments that are that would be uh, unrealistic if it was filmed in an overly showy kind of way yeah. really sort of hit. Like, there's a character that finds their 
that walks into the room to find that overnight their father has died. And it's almost shot like, you know, you, you get a, some, some close-ups, but it's almost shot in the wide shot. And I think the fact that it does things like that really help because it's so difficult for the characters to process what's going on. The fact that it doesn't force you to try and feel a certain way about what's happening, I think is really clever. So I don't know. I'm I mean, a skins it, guy. So fair, I, I, I do understand the idea of like, well, yeah, but these, this is a different generation of youth and um, they kind of want different things. Yeah. But I just feel like the writing is also a lot better. I, I actually don't think Sam Levinson is a particularly talented writer. I'm not familiar with this stuff. Yeah. I suppose all I'm saying is if I was fucking on camera, uh, maybe Sydney's built different, but I'd 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 not You'd watch it with my you, parents. Giving your family a heads up, yeah, because you know the some of the stuff that you filmed, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, apparently, filming on Barbie led to a worldwide shortage of pink paint. So good, <laughs> fuck yeah! According to an interview uh, from Greta Gerwig recently, I don't know if we've talked about the Barbie movie much. Uh, I suppose we probably haven't Probably it's been not a yeah. while since we I also it. have been on Blackout About it and Oppenheimer So I don't fucking know anything about it I'm I know, I know like it. the I know some of the cast and stuff But yeah The movie tra- the, the trailers I've seen recently Make it look a little bit cheesy and hammy And a fun kind of I think it's definitely way, meant I, to be doing that I yeah. don't know whether that's just the marketing That's doing that or not Right Because I mean I'm keen for it I'm Yeah keen I mean for it's it. It Greta Gerwig like, I, I trust her a lot Yeah so. Crazy that it yeah, written by look, written by Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig and directed by Greta Gerwig. Um, fuck, I hope it's good. I know that there's no chance that it'll be good, but if it at least no, I genuinely fun, think there is a chance that it will be great. Like, I don't mm. know if have you seen much other Gerwig stuff? Yeah, yeah, I've seen right. Lady Bird uh, yeah. and Little Women, and yeah. I've seen heaps of Baumbach. Like, right. Yeah. So I think that that's just like. I think they know what they're doing with the material. You know what I mean? So I'm kind of quietly confident, but I'm refusing to get my hopes up about it. Cause yeah, fair wanna, enough. I don't okay. want to be too excited. A last couple silly ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, here we go. Pete Davidson provides an update on the ferry he purchased while he was very stoned. Yep. Hopefully great. it turns into a transformer and gets the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you turned it around there, but at yeah. the start, I was like, "That's that's not Pete Davidson. That's the who's the guy that voices Iago? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking uh, oh, he died recently. God damn, we talked about him on the pod. Hopefully, it caught you. Uh, yeah, uh, Gilbert Godfrey. Gilbert Godfrey. Thank you. Hopefully, it turns into a transformer and gets the fuck out of here. <laughs> I think that's pretty good. Not bad. I yeah. did pretty good yeah, with that. Pretty good. Uh, Pete Davidson provided an update on the giant boat he purchased while under the influence of drugs during an episode of Saturday Night Live in January 2022. What the fuck? Mm. It's June 2020. Oh, I see. Right. So, in January 2022, he revealed that uh, him and Colin Jost bought a ferry in yeah, Staten yeah. Island while they were stoned. Yep. On Monday, while appearing on the red carpet for the premiere of the new Transformers movie, he admitted that he has no idea what's going on with him and Jost's ferry. Asked by Entertainment Tonight if he was playing Oh, now Transform- it's Jost's ferry. <laughs> asked if asked by ET if he was planning on uh, planning a Transformers after party on the boat. Davidson laughingly replied, "Yeah, if it's not sunk, I have no idea what's going on with that thing." Me and Colin were very stoned a year ago and bought a ferry. We're nice. figuring it out. Mm. Uh, blah blah blah. Promotion for Transformers. Been a bit of been a bit of Pete Davidson absence from the news recently. It's good to have him back in fine form. Sure, yeah. Um, me and my brother share a Netflix account, mm. and we've just hit this hurdle this week where they're starting to like uh, kick yeah. us off each other's yep. Netflix accounts. Yep. Uh, headline here that Netflix signups have risen by over one hundred percent after they've implemented Ugh, this. That sucks. Fucking sucks that it's working. Uh, I think they'll see a 
slight rise in um, signups because there will be a bunch of people. I mean, you know, that's like over 100% in signups. Yeah. But that's compared to what the previous rate was. And haven't they hit, like, haven't their user base has been, like, fucking cratering out recently? Yeah, maybe that's why they're doing it. So, I think, I feel like, I don't know if that, where that piece is coming from. Mm. But if that's from their, if that status from their marketing team, like, they're probably trying to save face on all of this whole shit. So, yeah. Yeah. Between the streaming apps. May 25th to May 28th, which is just after the announcement. Mm. From May 25th to May 28th, which is four days. 73,000 new users signed up to Netflix, which is apparently 102% rise uh, on the last 60 days. Yeah, right. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but Netflix numbers are crazy big anyway, so it's kind of hard to tell like, relatively if that's like a big number or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's probably all I've got, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oppen- a few stories that aren't really stories, but Oppenheimer coming out, which we're both really keen yep. on. Uh, if we could make it... I mean, you'll, you might... Be in Melbourne by the time it comes out. In yeah, because I'm so I'm about to head IMAX. down for a sublet for three weeks, and then we're looking for a place. So we could Huge. be doing some remote episodes. Melbourne IMAX. Uh, I think Fuck it's the only yeah. IMAX in Australia. Yes. Or at least the only IMAX that's currently working. Us. Yeah, you'd be able to go see it. Yeah, I, I uh, think I will. I might see that on Barbie. I'm Same day. <laughs> Keen. Uh, apparently, it's like three hours long. The Oppenheimer. So, yeah, yeah. You know, long ass movie. Yeah. Uh, Keen as hell for that. I, 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 had, I had a bit of a note. Let's see what else we got. Uh, the, the Bear 2 The Bear Season 2 Season 2, yeah Comes out uh, in the next few weeks In the next month or so, mm. I think And one last thing I wanted to mention That I've noticed And I've just I've taken it on note uh-huh. It's It's been brought to my attention uh, And I just want to say that I've noticed And I'm sick of it These little cute puns Like uh, the Fast franchise Steps on the gas In the overseas market Oh, in the headlines Little Mermaid swims To 120 million Across the Spider-Verse Swings to 100 million dollars Yeah, shut the fuck up I've noticed Shut the fuck up Exactly I've had enough of it I've had enough Fuck off We don't want it I've seen it We don't need it It's been noted Yep Alright Yep It's been noted One other bit of news I guess that I don't have an article for or anything But it's just kind of ongoing Is um uh, oh, the writer strike. The writer strike. The WGA yeah. strike. So still going on. Some interesting um, things from other unions in the states. The um, uh, so the DGA, which is the Directors Guild, um, had very similar discussions with uh, the studios afterwards. And there's some overlap between interests of directors and interests of writers, obviously. But is it uh, a diff- it's a different strike. Then, so they're not going on strike, and they. So I, right. I, don't, I can't remember if they had a strike authorization vote because the way that these things work is they need to take a poll of the union, and then they need to have enough members vote in favor of potentially going on strike. Yeah. So that when they have the discussions, if there's not a satisfactory agreement reached, they then will go on strike, which is exactly what happened with the WGA. Right. The DGA. I can't remember if they had a strike authorization vote, but they seem to have reached a tentative agreement with studios, which some people said was kind of like not in solidarity with writers, but in realistic terms, it's not opposing the, the, the writers' things. They just have different requests, and clearly the studios had less of an issue with what the directors were asking well, for than what the writers were asking yeah, for. Yeah, and I, I was trying to find like an interesting current roundup of the writer strike because I thought it might be interesting to talk about, mm. and I couldn't really, and the only article I found was one that said like, it was the Writers Guild of America being like, oh, just because the Directors Guild have reached a... Ver- have reached a a decision doesn't mean that we have and it doesn't affect our strike and we're still no, on strike. No, it doesn't, um, yeah. But I think that the most interesting thing that uh, about the strike is something that I read a few weeks ago, maybe about a month or so ago, when it all first started, mm. which it was just like an article that talks about 
why it's important and what the influence of it is. Yeah. Uh, and like why normal people should give a fuck about it. I, can I think like talk to some of that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and yeah, and I mean, like outside of the humanity and like the labor conditions and all that sort of stuff. Working I think, solidarity. Yeah. I mean, outside of that stuff, which is like. It, important and political and interesting, but I suppose like <laughs> not necessarily funny. Mm. I suppose the impact that it has on uh, entertainment is interesting. Like yeah. the original first writer strike that happened in the eighties is apparently credited with the rise of reality television. Mm. And uh, yeah, just the idea that they didn't have staff writers on hand and they came up with stuff that doesn't need writers, and now reality television is such a huge part of like the for one of a better phrase like the modern like zeitgeist yeah, or whatever. Yeah, like for sure. The fact that it only exists because of the strike. And yeah, then I really watched gross. A, a YouTube video recently that talked about like TV shows that um, were cancelled because of the strike or different major ways in which media was impacted by the strike. Apparently, the first season of Breaking Bad is only like 10 episodes long yeah. because the writer strike cut it short. And yeah. in the first season, they were going to kill off Jesse Pinkman. Yeah, we were talking about this the other night. Um, yes, yeah, so that they, because it caused an unprecedented break during the middle of the first season of filming, and the... Um, the showrunners, uh, well, the showrunner Vince Gilligan and all, all of the yeah. writers, um, had sort of a a chance to pause and sort of think about what... Because, like, you know, you, you write a full script of a season, but you start filming it and all of a sudden there's heaps of stuff that comes up that you just weren't aware would work really well or, or stuff that you thought would work really well that just doesn't. Yeah. And so, so yeah, they were going to kill off Pinkman, but then the relationship between... Uh, him and, and Walter White meant that they decided that there was a lot more that they could get out of it so they yeah, changed it and, it was cool. and kept him in the season yeah so they said yeah like you never normally get a mid-season mid-first season pause to be yeah. like oh now that we have actors on this and effects and we're actually shooting mm. what works well and they said like they didn't know they didn't realise how well Jesse and Walt would work together on screen and yeah. that's why they kept him all yeah. sorts of different stuff like that I think yeah. the one of the reasons why by the way sorry if, if any listeners are confused or hadn't thought about this before but one of the reasons why um, you, you might sort of think okay so the writers submit a script and then they're kind of done right like why do why would a studio give a fuck if if um if the writer's strike happens when they're filming but uh, it's actually very common and arguably completely necessary to have a writer on set while you are filming because there's lots of changes that um, might need to be made. Yeah. Like if an actor wants to change a line or something, they have to work with a writer to uh, basically get that change approved. Yeah. And the reason is that there's all sorts of rights that writers have to the script because if they put their name down on it and then heaps of stuff gets changed during filming and it's not their script anymore, they, they would hate that and they wouldn't want to be credited with something that they didn't write especially if it's not good yeah. so it's um, interesting anyway yeah and so I think it's been going on for ages and ages and mm. ages like a couple months like since we last filmed yeah it? yeah since it's been going on for a while and they also I mean there's all sorts of stuff that the WGA does as well which is interesting like they form picket lines out the front of um, places that are slated to film and so you know the people that are rocking up to go to work need to literally cross the picket line in order to keep going so they <laughs> they actually do like disrupt filming and, and they're not stopping those people from going but what they're trying to say is hey be in solidarity with us. I don't think you can get fired for not crossing a picket line. So, because there's all sorts of like specific labor rules in the States. 
And um, and so, yeah, they're basically trying to say, hey, don't let the studios keep doing their work while we're going on strike because yeah. we're trying to argue for better working conditions. But One other really interesting thing about why the W... I think this is interesting enough to, yeah, yeah. to kind of chat about it is that um, I was listening to the Script Notes podcast, which is a great podcast by um, Craig Mazin and John August, very well-established screenwriters. We were famous for movie writers, and I think Craig Mazin wrote uh, the most recent last... No, is he, he the last Yeah, he's guy? the showrunner of Last of Us and yeah, Chernobyl, right. and also... Also, John August has worked with like a lot of Tim Burton films that you would know yeah, are John yeah. August. And um, he's been talking a lot because they're both really active members with seniority in the WGA. And they were saying one really interesting thing that took um, the writers by surprise is back in the... I think they were, the last writer's strike was like 07, 08. And yeah. um, one thing that... Uh, really benefited the writers before that point is is to do with like writing residuals. So once a writer has kind of like um, written a script because the studio hires them and they say, you got to write the script for us and then we own it basically. So uh, the writers don't have the copyright over their own material. They don't own the rights to the scripts that they write. And so they can't make money off that afterwards. So then it's really important that, you know, when an episode is replayed on TV or you make DVD sales or anything like that, um, the, there's like basically uh, residuals or like uh, what are they called fucking where musicians get credit for playing royalties. stuff royalties thank you <laughs> um, the back before streaming was really big like back when the iTunes store opened and stuff the writers negotiated with the agencies and streaming services yeah quite a good rate because DVDs and Blu-rays were still massive back then and writers got absolutely fucked on DVD uh, residuals and so because the, the, the DVD and Blu-ray market then became huge it wasn't anticipated how big it would be and how important it would be and so that's now more important for streaming right but right. the studios didn't really tweak to that and so when they were doing discussions they gave them a much better rate on streaming residuals than they did on uh. DVD residuals and then streaming got fucking massive so the writers are going like yeah this is great we're actually really finally being paid something <laughs> of what it's worth yeah. and studios are quite upset about that because obviously they missed a trick and um which is to say they have to pay people <laughs> like close to what they're worth mm. and uh so i i think this time around the the writers guild was much more tapped into what's going to be important in the future that we really need to be making moves on now so that we don't get absolutely shredded so in 10 about to 20 like years AI. so ai is the number yeah. one thing and what was really interesting is they put in a bunch of stuff in ai around their demands and thinking that the studios would just go like, uh, yeah, fine. And they and specifically are saying, no, the, we, the, we yeah. want the option to have AI written It shit. was the, the, one of the only things in discussions that the studio flat out rejected completely. Mm. And they just said, absolutely not. And it was an immediate flag to the Writers Guild saying, studios are already thinking about this yeah. stuff and they have already planned out a pathway to start using AI I mean, in of script course, writing. Of course you would. Well, if of it's course free. you would, but it's also fucking horrible. It's like, awful. But it is it's, really terrible. If it's so free, <laughs> I think if it's, you can pay one writer to like come up with like the, the creativity and stuff and then just get all the grunt work done by a computer. Well, it would probably be the opposite. You would probably feed in, I mean, for shows like procedurals, like Law and Order or CSI or whatever, you just feed a bunch of those scripts into an AI and say, write me a new one. And then mm. you just get one writer, you hire them for a week and you say, just do a pass on this episode and Crazy. smooth everything over. Crazy. Which is horrible. That's yeah. not writing. Like, no. that's that's a, a total well, corruption it's, it's, of the creative process. It's, compl- it's not a surprise at all, though, considering mm. all the, bl- I mean, we can stop talking about it, but like all 
the bullshit with like the Marvel Cinematic Universe where they just like create a schedule for these movies. Yeah. Seeming, I mean, they haven't. But it's it feels like it's like, man, I've never fucking heard of Ant Man. It's five. just on rails. It's, yeah, exactly. They're, they're just it's, like it's creating a schedule for these movies before they've even created the movies. Kind yeah. Of thing. They're like, yeah. oh, we have to come up with three more of these in 2024 or whatever. Yeah. Like, it, it doesn't surprise me at all. So I think it's really interesting that that was like the one thing that the yeah. studios were like, ah, uh, no, none of that, and the writers were like, ah, okay, so this is really fucking important. So I think one of the number one things that's going to be crucial about this strike and in the preceding negotiations is, yeah. is going to be whether or not writers can protect uh, themselves and their jobs from the uprising influence of AI or not. So Crazy. I was kind of shocked how much uh, of a forefront that actually ended up taking, but I think it's really interesting. Yeah, the other, insane. really quick, the other minor thing that's happening in, in union kind of news is that um, SAG-AFTRA, which is the actors union in the States, uh, just had so what I was talking about with the strike authorization vote. Yeah, they just had a uh, strike authorization vote that had a ninety-seven point nine percent in favor of taking a strike and for SAG for SAG, which and you this know. If you're thinking about it... All you, the big actors and stuff. Right, everyone, yeah. It, basically, you it's very hard to be a non-union actor in the States. It's also hard to be a non-union writer. But um, if you think about it, you can still finish a series if you are okay with it being <laughs> shitty, right? You can still finish a series yeah. if you don't have a writer on set, but you can't fucking finish a series if you don't have an actor. So, yeah, there rules. Um, their, their negotiation period is coming up very soon, and I'll be very interested to see what happens with the SAG negotiations. Yeah. Um, AI also relevant to actor stuff because, you know, instead of bringing like an actor CJ back in and paying them for reshoots, you could just yeah. deep fake them now. Yeah. And crazy. obviously, actors would fucking hate that. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's a really interesting yeah. little part of it, too. And also, it's the first authorization vote that I think they haven't been on strike in something like 40 or 50 years. And the turnout for that vote was unprecedentedly high. Like nearly wow. uh, the it WGA. Must be the deep, it deep fakes thing. It no, must be. I, I, well, I think it is. But I think the WGA act, activity has really opened a lot of other unions' eyes to, like, hey, we really need to get like be in solidarity with each other because if we're not, the studios are going to like turn this industry in. into just a horrific fucking place to work. So yeah, yeah. Um, even though it already kind of is. So I, I yeah, think it's I, really, I was very interested by that. It is interesting. And I think um, it, it's interesting. I, I listened to like, I used to listen to a whole bunch of like American LA based comedy podcasts. And it's interesting to know like how much more like, I don't know much about unions and how unions work, but it's interesting to know that, like, yeah, literally every single member of writing staff and acting staff and everything on every production is a member of some union, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, not every, but very, very common. It's so and common. Yeah, like, you is. have to be a member to get health insurance yeah. and all sorts of things, and so it's a yeah. lot more common. And so then when a union says, like, all of our members are going to go on strike, it's mm. like almost every single writer on every single major Hollywood production. It's it's mm. not like 10, like here in like the workplace I'm in, it's uh, like unions in Australia maybe 5 to 10% yeah. of yeah. the people in my workplace are a member of our union. But yeah. like over there, it's like you basically have to be a member of the union to yes. be employed. Yes. Crazy. And well, it's yeah, and, and, and uh, there's all sorts of consequences. Like for people who are not in the union at the moment, there's a lot of people not in the union seeking WGA advice about whether or not... Because if you... Basically, the idea behind the strike is stop giving the studios any new material. So, they mm. cannot work. They can't produce anything until we are So, they don't are get happy. money either. They don't have an income. 
No, the, the, there's a strike fund that the WGA right. has that they can cover people's living expenses. Another reason why unions are really important is when you go on strike, they can keep you alive while you're doing that because you don't have income. Yeah. So there's all sorts of stuff that goes on to support people during that process. But there's heaps of non-union writers coming to the WGA for advice about whether or not, like, hey, if I do this, is that scabbing is that crossing the picket line because if the wga finds out that you (laughs) did work this is really serious if the wga finds out that you did work or you helped a studio or you contributed to their pipeline during a strike process you are banned from the wga (laughs) for life that rules you are out they are no scabs which is so (laughs) sick so it means that like yeah people need to be really careful about like dave anthony talk about this stuff on the dollop every now i don't listen to the dollop as much but every now and then he'll get sidetracked on like a, a union like a, writers yeah, union yeah, thing yeah. and he yeah he goes crazy yeah <laughs> yeah it's really uh, it's really interesting yeah. yeah he's WGA I think as well yeah absolutely but yeah um, alright anyway so there's there's Union Corner that's, that's a union yeah. I think it's just oh, you know fuck. we're a film podcast and we're I want to work left film podcast. and I want to work in the industry <laughs> and I think like obviously the Australian industry is a very different landscape but we should be fucking yeah. learning from what the unions over there are mm. doing because if we think that the Australian film landscape is going to look any better than the US one, we're kidding ourselves and we really need to start switching on to more of this stuff. Mm. Anyway. Uh-huh. Let's see cool. how much of a union corner I leave in. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's interesting even if you're not working in the industry because it yeah. means, you know, yeah, we're going to see a whole lot of disruption like maybe in half a year or a year's time from all of the shows that can't be filming right now or, yeah. you know, shows that uh, get scrubbed or, or go ahead with different writing stuff or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Do you want to... So, I suppose the rest of the episode is just talking about stuff that we've watched. You want to launch into the, a bumper mainline uh, edition of Beef and Assault Pleasure? Yeah, let's do it. Business. Pleasure. Pleasure. Pleasure, of course, the segment where uh, every week, normally, we have a official, normal uh, movie that we focus on. This week we don't, but it leaves us a little bit of time outside of that to talk about the stuff we've just watched on the side, just for our own stuff pleasure. For just yeah. for us. Mm. Just, just to keep us entertained, just to keep the lights on. Yeah. Just to... Keep us happy. Just to... Oh. You know, when, when we're not out there living the dream... Mm. We're inside dreaming about living. Yeah, that's right. And while well, we're doing that, we're, we're watching stuff <laughs> while that we're we watching enjoy. Stuff. Oh, you better believe we're half asleep. <laughs> um, so, I don't know how you want to start this. I, I thought I've seen a few things recently that I'm really keen to talk about. Yeah. I can launch out with a few. Okay, right. First one. Mm. We've done this a few times before and I feel like it, uh, the way that... I, I used to listen to Kamel Nanjiani's podcast a lot and he did like a return, I feel like 10 episodes of the podcast like yep. a couple of years ago during COVID. Uh, and he had this phrase that really stuck with me when they were talking about Portrait of a Lady on Fire, mm. which was, um, he was like, uh, do you know when you're like watching a movie and you realize while you're watching it, like, oh, I'm watching one of my favorite movies yes. for the first time. Yeah. I had that sensation recently this week mm. uh, when I was watching a movie that I dumped out, I dumped in our group chat called Broadcast News. Yes. 
Behind the scenes is a great reporter. The first shots were fired about 10 seconds ago. Over towards the east. Behind a great reporter is a brilliant producer. What? No, you'll do it. Do it, or I'll fry your fat ass. I had no idea she was this good. But in front of them all is a perfect face. Broadcast News. Thompson said the F-14 is one of the hardest planes to fly. The F-14 is one of the most difficult planes to master. Isn't the F-14 one of the most difficult machines for a pilot to master? I say it here, it comes out there. You knew just when to feed me the next line. There was like a rhythm we got into. It was like great sex. Well, I felt something. You're not well-educated, you have almost no experience, and you can't write. And I'm making a fortune. I know I don't respect him, so what am I saying to you? You're saying stay away from him. I can't be. What do you do when your real life exceeds your dreams? Keep it to yourself. Tom, while being a very nice guy, <laughs> is the devil. At least kiss me when you do that. You just can't stop editing me, huh? He personifies everything that you've been fighting against. And I'm in love with you. They know everything that's happening in the world, except what they mean to each other. Get ready? Why and cue them. Go. Holy fuck, this movie rules. So it's, uh, it's from 1987, and it's directed by James L. Brooks, who is mostly famous for being one of the co-creators and executive producers of The Simpsons. Yeah, that's but where before you've he, seen that name before. Yeah, before he did The Simpsons, he did uh, two or three, four uh, Hollywood comedy dramas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Broadcast News is his most critically acclaimed one. I don't know how I started watching it, I don't know how I got on it uh, as a recommendation, but it's been it's been on my list for a little while. It's available to stream on Disney Plus, I think. But um, basically, it's set in the eighties mm-hmm. in a mainstream, hardcore, uh, national live news studio yeah. in uh, like Washington or something. Yeah, and Holly Hunter plays this like excellent genius news producer who's the sort of person who has all these a panel of glowing buttons behind her and in front in front of her actually <laughs> yeah more uh, useful like, in front like, of a, her, like yeah. a headset mic and she's like talking to all the correspondents on the ground be like all right you're right you're live in three two one go and then like talking down the ear into the sort of little uh earwig for the the anchor and all the sort of stuff and producing these like live news segments telling them like which war. cameras to go to yeah all, all like shit, go yeah. camera a camera b all this stuff yep. um so she's the main character and the movie is half like a hyper realistic procedural movie about what it's like to work behind the scenes in like live news in the mm. 80s uh and James L. Brooks apparently interned there in one of his first jobs. So he's got a bit of a background in news. Yeah. And then in the other half of it is like a workplace comedy romance drama. Kind of like a bit of a love triangle type situation. Yeah. Um, and the performances are just so mind-blowingly good. Mm. Uh, and it's it's so wonderful to watch them. It's such a charming, gorgeous movie. And all the characters feel so human. And you feel like you just want to give them a hug. And you want to mm. be there and hang out with them. So Holly Hunter is this character who is like a bit of a... She, she's, she's brilliant, but she sacrifices like her ability to like relate to people a bit. Right. Uh, she goes to some conference... 
uh, where she's speaking about the importance of like hard news, and it's like in this like, like proper investigative journalism, proper investigative journalism, and it's in this like 1980s like, and it's kind of it has some ties to modern stuff where she's like really worried about the rise of like populist puff piece type news that is sort of probably a lot bigger now but at the time she's like I'm 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 a proper journalist journalist yeah. and I'm really worried about this silly like uh, yeah, puff piece news. I think I'm right. just happy yeah. with it the first time. I yeah, said sure. It. And she gives this. She gives this talk. Sensationalist at, journalism. Yeah, yeah, and she's at some conference, uh, and this guy comes up to her afterwards, and they sort of hit it off. And he's this really, the really handsome guy, and his name is is. Uh, it's played by William Hurt. His name's Tom Gronick, mm. and he's this really handsome guy. And he play. He's this news anchor, and he's like, oh. I'm actually about to come work for your station, so I'm glad we bumped into each other. Right. And he's like, I think you're clearly so wonderful uh, and so passionate and so excellent at what you do. And he's like, I wish I had that because I just, I know I'm a good looking guy and I'm confident and I'm good on camera, but I just don't like... Because he works as an anchor. He right? works as an anchor yeah. like on, on screen presenting the news. And he's like, I just don't, I just don't think I have the same like talent that you do. And she's like... Um, oh, don't be hard on yourself, man. I mean, you know, you, you're an anchor. You're a main li- mainstream anchor on on your channel. So I'm, mm. I'm sure you wouldn't have got to where you've gotten without uh, without having something. And he's like, no, no, look, confidence isn't my problem. Thank you, but like, it's not that I'm not myself. confident in myself. I know that I'm a confident, good looking guy. And sometimes I'm reading the news and I don't understand what I'm reading. Yeah, and he, it, it's it, it, so he plays this like charming and handsome but dumb guy. He's like and an I introspective. Think- Really dumb dude. Yeah, and so I think that so it's, it's which is kind, a great setup. It's kind of a stereotypical character, but I'd never have I seen it before in a movie where the guy is like so self-aware of the fact that like he's getting by on his good looks. Yeah, uh, did you relate? And it really, yeah. oh yeah, and it really like frustrates him, right? Yeah, uh, that because uh, he he's like really trying to make an effort, and like th- I thought it really interesting because like. The first interaction that Holly Hunter has with William Hurt's character where he's like, I'm a handsome guy and I'm a bit dumb. And the reason... And I'm frustrated that I'm a bit dumb. And that's just as far as I can get. She, like, immediately takes his word for it. It's like, oh, okay, you're dumb. Great, got it. No worries. I hate you. (laughs) Yeah. I despise you for that. Right. Um, So, so anytime he's, like, making an effort to be like, hey, can you, like, teach me, like... Uh, what you're doing here, and I want to, I want to, uh, in his first week, he's like, I, I want to, like, just like sit by you, and just watch as you're working. Yep. She's like, I don't have time for you. You're dumb. You told me you're dumb. I don't have time for yeah, you. Yeah, great. <laughs> and so then uh, they have like a bit of a romantic uh, fling connection, fling between them. But she is really frustrated because he represents everything that she is like afraid of and despises in this like puff piece, like right. glorification and beautification of the news, man. Yep. Uh, and the other person that's in this like love triangle um, is her current best friend at work, who is like a bit of a dork, a bit of a square, a played, play, play, uh, played by Albert, Albert Brooks. Mm. Uh, and he is like, no one what he's working Did with. Al Brooks also work on The Simpsons? Or is that a different guy? I think it's a different person. Right, sure. Um, but like Albert Brooks, um, he plays this like dweeb square kind of guy who like isn't as good at connecting with people, but he's really smart and really knows what he's talking about. And it frustrates him. He'll be in situations where he's like, I'm right. And people aren't listening to me because they don't like me. Right. And it's not fair. Because yeah. you... And he's like not confident. Whether or not you like me doesn't change the fact that I'm fucking right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you've got like a guy that's like s- too smart for his own good and talented in yeah. the newsroom. Yeah. 
And he's looking at this handsome dude and being like, I wish I could be more like that guy. And then the handsome dude is looking at both of these two people being, being like, like, I wish I could be more like those guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a really great scene where the handsome guy, is he still feels... And it, I love movies that make me feel, remind me that like everyone feels insecure because mm. like, I, f- I feel like every now and then I catch myself in these periods of insecurity and I feel like, yeah, but I have reasons to be insecure. And then yeah, you see sure. stuff where it's like hot, talented people are also talking about how they're insecure. It's like, oh, great. It's, yeah. It's, it's yeah. Not just Everybody feels everyone. that way. Yeah, so William sure. Hurt's character, the hot anchor, is talking about, he's talking to Albert Brooks, mm. who he admires. Mm. And Albert Brooks hates this guy because he's hot and successful yeah. without he's, like, trying. Of him, yeah. And William Hurt's hot character is like, what do you do when your life has already like exceeded your wildest expectations of where you'd be? Yeah. And Albert Brooks goes, you fucking keep it to yourself, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fucking great line. The whole the whole movie is really charming and really wonderful where you get these really human interactions between these three people and you completely understand them and you completely like even though it feels very dated and the eighties fashion is a bit silly sure. and they've got these sort of frumpy, fluffy hair and the baggy clothes and stuff. All of the stuff they're going through is the most human stuff. Yeah, really. And it's grounded relatable. in this very technical, specific depiction of the way the news broadcasting works that doesn't mm. make you feel like you're watching a dumb romance or anything. It makes you yeah, feel cool. like you're watching this movie about these people. Uh, it's great. It's so good. Sounds uh, like I it's really well written and really good performances. Yeah. It's also really funny. Yeah, it's one right. of the guys from The Simpsons, and I don't know how much of a creative input he had into The Simpsons. I think he kind of commissioned Matt Groening to get going and his right, name's sure. been on the billboard ever sure. since. But like... It's also really, really funny. Mm. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. Sure. Broadcast so news. Yep. Uh, I, I think if you like, so I won't shut the fuck up about like when Harry met Sally. Sure. Uh, and I think that when Harry met Sally is a great eighties romance drama about people, but it doesn't have much of a grounding in like an everyday thing that yeah. this does with the news That's and cool. about television broadcasting and about watching people. It's like these people are professionals and they're excellent at what they do. And the romance stuff is this stuff that is bound to happen on the sides. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think if you like anything like that, like the You've Got Mail or Sleepless in Seattle, when Harry met Sally, kind of classic 80s romance dramas, you'll love this. But I also think if you like like a like the big short... Movies about pe- where people have a job and they're yeah. really, really good at that very technical job. Yeah, yeah. I can't think of like, like a Sorkin kind of social network-y kind of sure, thing. Sure, yeah. If you like those really hyper-technical kind of films as well, I think that'll go- this will this'll tick the box for you. And I think that one of the reasons why it doesn't feel dated, even though it's like peak 80s bullshit with like the panels of like bright light-up buttons. Yeah, and, like, CRT screens Walls and stuff, of CRT yeah. screen TVs is because the, the humanity of the characters feels so so true to like a modern mindset about like what people are like now but it's mm. one of those things we I've like been talking about before it's like I forget that like um you know my, oh, I was talking to my nan before she died and she said like oh I feel the same as when I was 30 and they're right. like, oh, all these old people were people too and they yeah. they were the age I and was And there are once. problems that are like remain throughout history. Yeah, yeah. and so it's great to have like these like a movie like this where you feel like oh these people were people and they were people back in the 80s and mm. they had the stupid fluffy hair and the fucking uh polyester shirts but they're still people and yeah like, oh great yeah i feel oh, like i got really a cool. bit, I, I i sort of bit too high on my horse for that but no 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 i get fuck, it it's, I love it's this on my movie. list it sounds really good yeah cool the movie rules mm. 
Mm. Uh, help me stop talking for a bit. What do you want? Okay. Um, well, I've been watching a bunch of TV recently. I uh, haven't actually seen that many movies. I've watched a few things. I rewatched a few things that I've already seen. Yeah. Um, I rewatched Terminator 1 and 2. Those movies <laughs> f- fucking rip. You are... So, I've seen Terminator 2 like once. Mm. Uh, it's so And good. I enjoyed it. But I feel like every single time we come up, you're like, oh. Terminator 2. It's so <laughs> good. It's one of the best movies ever made, brother. It <laughs> to is. The point where, like, I don't know whether this is like a commonly held opinion or whether I've just hung out with you too much. No, it's like- renowned as being like one of the best <laughs> movies ever made. I think the fact that it 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 inverts things from the first movie makes it very powerful. I think you can't really. It's one of those rare ones where I I would normally be trying to say like, no, nah, don't watch the first Terminator. You don't need to. But, but what to. it does with Arnie is really yeah. key. I'm so and upset that like it's so good because like the in the same way as the Star Wars like Luke I am your father thing yeah it's like a spoiler yes but it's like a socially acceptable part it's of like in the zeitgeist yeah. yeah it's so upsetting that the spoiler in t2 is it's like, so common yeah so don't say it in known. case anyone hasn't I seen it so. yeah i really love how much i mean a lot of that film is really shockingly decent visual effects for the time i mean james cameron i guess yeah like the liquid metal dude that just right. goes through it looks great so he did the abyss right before that and i feel like i remember hearing that they used the technology that he developed to make the living water creature from the abyss for the liquid stuff that they did the metal with in terminator 2 so it kind of makes sense he's always been on that kind of like let's build the tech because if i don't have the tech i won't make the movie great. and then um yeah but Something that is missing from so many movies today because it's more expensive to pay people to do special effects than it is to pay (laughs) visual effects artists is basically everything in Terminator 2 that they could do practically, they actually did practically. Mm. You know, where where they couldn't do where they couldn't really like smash a truck apart or destroy a city or whatever. He used model work Mm. that really holds up. Um, They use a lot of like, you know, they're using like squibs, like practical effects to do stuff. And just that they, it makes the movies feel so much more real and believable, even though it's an absurd fucking premise. I want to do like a deep dive on 80s classic cinema. And I think it's not to jump back to what I was talking about, but because what you're saying reminds me of it. Like, you know, when you're watching an 80s film, like Broadcast News does this, and I'm sure T2 does it as well, Mm. where it's got like 20% more heart and cheese than a normal movie. Not in a way that breaks you out, but in a way where it's like, oh, I'm watching a movie, man. It's like this like 20% like popcorn factor where Mm. everything's a bit fluffy and a bit cheesy. And yeah, it's got this heart to it's, it. It's intended at its at its most important core of the movie to be mm. entertaining. Yeah, exactly. And that is something, yeah, that I think and it's I, easy to lose. I think it's something I miss in modern movies where mm. modern movies have gone for this like hyper-realism, quiet kind Some of, of thing them to them. Yeah. Uh, and I really enjoy modern movies, obviously, but there's something to this like cheese ball 80s movie mm. that I think that's uh, what really oh, rules. makes me appreciate modern filmmakers especially ones that have been making movies for a while that haven't that aren't okay with like cutting the corners you know I mean uh, say what you will about Tom Cruise but like that guy tries to do shit for real because mm. he knows when you get something that's really in camera it looks better than if you didn't yeah. fucking do it yeah. and you just made visual effects the of it. Of George Miller so is another guy. <laughs> I'm worried about Furiosa but like Mad Max Fury George Road. George Miller R.I.P. Yeah. 
the other one. <laughs> um, but the, the like Fury Road is a movie where they could have used a lot more visual effects than they actually did. But they but he knew it wouldn't be as entertaining if they yeah. weren't really doing the shit. And what yeah. was so fascinating about it is you felt like that stuff was really happening because it was really happening. Mm. You know what I mean? So yeah, I don't know. I, I really love this kind of movies. I hope that type of filmmaker kind of makes a resurgence and um, definitely man and I, I, I think people are ready for it especially uh, not to just rag on marvel but the way that they make their films where it's so uh undecided until the very last moment they're changing decisions they're fucking focus grouping all the mm-hmm. stuff and i i think that's one of the reasons why those movies are i know that they're entertaining to a point but they don't have the juice that the, the yeah, movies that we're man, talking like, about really have i I watched Guardians of the Galaxy 3 a couple weeks ago mm. with, with my dad, uh, and I really liked Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2, and, two, and they were yeah. kind of the only Marvel movies I'd seen recently. Yeah, and they're it, a bit of a different breed anyway. Yeah, but, but the third one, man, I couldn't stand it. Really? Like, wow. Yeah, like it felt like a parody of itself. It felt like they had like ratcheted up some of the stuff that they thought, oh, people like that. We'll, do, we'll make a movie that's only that. Uh, and then also like some of the things about the movies that I loved, they just cut out completely for right. no reason. Like right. Star-Lord was like the sensible guy in the movie. Yeah. You think like he's supposed to be the silly one. Yeah. And then all the other characters were silly instead. And so then you get this movie where it's like no one everyone's just being silly yeah. and nothing's actually happening in the movie. And then the plot of the movie was uh, everything about the movie. I just, I just hated. Yeah. And I just felt like this feels like it's a movie that's been made for the sake of it. That's been written by some AI. That's been like, people love these movies. Just do what fucking More Hollywood reporter says people love. Yeah. And I, I was, re- I really wanted to like it. I didn't want to yeah, go in course. there being like, I'm this film bro that is going to fucking determinedly, determinedly hate Marvel movies. Yeah. But fuck, I hated it. It yeah. was so boring. Yeah. I just think they've, uh, you know, I think they've fallen into this trap mm. of like, um, yeah, it's exactly what you were saying. People like this the first time around. Yeah. Do more of that. Do more of and that exactly. Like, people didn't like it because they were doing like they liked it at the level that you had it and now you need to do something else yeah not the same fucking thing again it's like it's like when you read like uh history i don't know if this is an okay comparison to make but it's like when you read about like tribes in papua new guinea or something Mm. like doing their thing and it's like don't disturb them let them live their life right let 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 them just be undisturbed and and live yeah and then you get a movie where it's like the reason we liked it is because it was this organic thing that was creative and unusual and unique yeah and we just wanted to let it flourish and let it do its own thing in a vacuum and then Mm. people discover it like oh this is amazing and then when people when hollywood studios are like oh great you love that we'll just do exactly that 15 more times yeah oh well no you just don't get bored i'm bored yeah Yeah. sorry so you were saying you watched t2 and liked it and you've done what what, tv and stuff recently sorry not to hop on that thing but i do think that's an inherent (laughs) problem with like the franchise model because making a sequel you're automatically faced with this incredible difficulty of like well we already have one so what the fuck are we going to do and you know take T1 and T2 perfect example and I think one of the reasons why James Cameron was happy to do the first two and he wasn't in any way uh, I I don't know if he exec produced any of the last ones but um, he stopped being involved pretty much creatively beyond that. that point because um the other sequels are made because the Terminator se- franchise was so popular and yeah. they weren't made because he- someone really wanted to tell a story and it was, you know, it took place in the Terminator universe. 
the way that it uses the first one and inverts your expectations it rules. is yeah. you can only do that once. And you know what I mean? And like Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049, sort of the same thing. Mm. Um, but that's, you know, yeah, again, a sequel made, what, fucking 20 or 25 years later or something like that. Because finally someone thought, I actually have a new story that I can tell. I can do new things with this. Yeah. If you just do the same fucking thing, it's, so it's a sequel made two years after the first one came out. And you made it because of the success of the first one. I just think it's a perverse reason to create something. And yeah. that's honestly why I have a problem with so many of those kind of movies. It's not just that they're like mediocre in terms of their writing or whatever. Yeah, like I was upset when I found, I mean, we, we sound like old men, but like no, the, the fucking like John, John Wick 5 yeah, I know. coming yeah. out yeah, before exactly. John Wick 4. Or yeah. Was, uh, yeah. Are you making John Wick 5 because you have a really interesting, compelling character to deal with? Or are or you making like, oh, John we'll Wick 5 because you're like, we can keep cranking the dial and making more money. Yeah. You know, even though I know people like the fourth one and I was yeah. caught on it. But anyway. Um, okay. TV. So, I've been... Well, okay. So, since we last recorded, Succession finished. Oh, it wrapped up. shit. I love you, but you are not serious people. I have it on good authority. There is a kill list. Ken, is your head on straight? We've been schooled by a barbarian that goes by the name Logan Roy. I mean, he's out of control. Clear the air? You're a snake. You have hurt me more than you can possibly imagine. I have some concerns about your old man. I will sue, and I will go public. You point your finger at me, I point my finger at you. We are gonna grind you down, man. We are sand in the gears. I hate you. Do you understand that? Loud and clear. Good. Done. So, I think we were both very impressed by that last season. I really think it's the best season. Last season. Uh, I mean, the first season was new, and I think that they handled it they had a very difficult journey ahead of them to wrap it up and i think they handled it in a really excellent way i think so um i, I think it, it all kind of blurs together for me but my housemate yeah. is trying to get through season three and saying it's a real slog right uh, yeah and, uh, stick it stick it I out i don't remember that but season four fucking rips i think season three started to feel like they were doing that musical chairs thing and that you kind of felt like oh you guys can kind of do oh, like oh kendall's the favorite keep now going she's the favorite circles. now rob's the favorite right just keep going and yeah. so i was overjoyed i think i talked about it before it came out but i was overjoyed mm -hmm. to find out that this was the final season because it was like yes you need to not keep this going forever you have yeah. to tie the loose ends up yeah and uh they did and i really like what they did with it my favorite character in the whole series is still Tom Wamsgans. He rules. Matthew McFadden might be my favorite actor. I so think good. he is unbelievably talented. His relationship with Shiv, obviously Sarah Snook is incredible. His relationship yeah. with Greg, Nicholas Braun. Um, just there are some fucking electric mm. moments in so that good. season. I suppose we don't have to spoil it. No, but I wasn't going to. Favorite yeah. moments are the moment with Sushi. With Tom, yeah, oh, I mean, not with Tom, with Greg. Yep. Where I, I feel like every now and then the show gets <laughs> it does slapstick. Yeah, the show gets really every now and then the show gets silly and it really the earns wasabi. It. Yeah, and I feel like the show fucking earned that scene. It did it's in the so middle of the stressful election night coverage to yeah. have this bullshit scene where someone gets wasabi in their eyes and you're like, how the fuck did that? Yeah, happen? it's just <laughs> fucking absurd. It just so reminds good. you every now and then that like these are these mm. people sometimes make very human 
mistakes and fuck up in a funny way. That's like, yeah, like yeah. ridiculous. And then speaking of humor mistakes, I really liked the conversation that Shiv and Tom have on the balcony oh, that about is their relationship. Unfucking believable. Really heated, specific conversation. Just where trying to tear the other person apart. So good. Yeah. yeah. Awesome, awesome show. I got my dad uh, back onto it. I yep. think it was one of these shows where he's like, oh, I kind of couldn't get into it. Yeah, uh, yeah. And yeah. then the. I don't know what he got back into it, but like the, the leading up to the the final season coming out, I said like, oh, the final final episode's coming out on this day, and by Jove, he fucking made it. Great, <laughs> by the, really good. By the time the final episode was coming out, he was watching live, mm. uh, and by the end of it, he was like, yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. feel like one of the reasons that I, I try, I struggle to get people into it is I hear a lot of people when I mention the show go like, oh, but that's the show about like, like rich people, the Murdochs or whatever. Yeah, right? and they go, yeah. yeah, it is, but it's you, it, it, it's not very well publicized. The show is so funny. Uh, and that I don't know. It, it's it, it's it's really funny, and it has a lot to say artistically, and it's really done by people that are like in a mocking satirical way that are really doing interesting stuff with each yep. episode. Yep. They're not just like telling this story, but there's like rich person porn. No, or in terms of writing, I would put it up there with like Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul. Like I think it's some of the best writing that's ever. Yeah. And I, I do think it takes a bit of a dip in season three. I'm not sure if that's because of the writing or just because they weren't sure what they were going to do with it or if they just had to kind of tread a little bit of water until they got yeah, to season four. Yeah, yeah. But it definitely picks way back up. If you watch season three and kind of fell off it, which I know a few people who have, mm. it's absolutely... You have to finish season three because it doesn't make any sense otherwise. But season <laughs> but season four... Well, I mean, you can't just skip to the start of season four. You know, too much stuff oh, happens. Right, yeah. So... Um, but season four is uh, an absolute return to form. It 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 absolutely rules Succession. One of my favorite shows mm. ever. Um, and all of the interviews with the directors and the writers and the actors yeah. give so much insightful stuff out that yep. um, it's I really don't know, ne- it's so good going in on those after you've watched them. And it's like it's like every single interview gives something really interesting. My yep. favorite bit of trivia is that there is um, there's this, I think it's episode three or episode four of the newest most recent season where most of the show takes place on this ferry it's barge three, yeah, type three. thing with Connor's wedding episode. Yep, that's three. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And there was an interview or a behind the scenes uh, thing or whatever on binge where they were talking about how like for half of the episode, there's a half an hour long sequence that is one long performance, yep. which I suppose is different from one take because it's like one take, but they're shooting it between multiple different cameras yeah. for different camera yeah. angles of this one half an hour long performance they did mm-hmm. on this set. Because they, um, they filmed it in scenes and then yeah. after they had done that, basically decided, let's just run the whole thing through and yeah. see what happens, yeah. see if we can get it. And most of that running the whole thing through in one go is what they used in the final episode. And it's so tense and you can really yeah. feel it. And it's one of those examples where you can be like, oh, e- even though... I think it's interesting when filmmakers talk about like reasons behind like technical stuff that they're doing that has a a visible impact Creative on screen impact, yeah. and like an impact for the audience even if you're not thinking about it and like that stuff feels so tense and mm. I think one of the reasons it feels so tense and so immersive and so emotional is because the actors are fully in it they're with you yeah. and they were talking about like technically speaking they're filming the whole show on film yeah. and so the cameras have a 10 minute 
maximum filming time because that's how long that's how much film they have they have 10 minutes of film and so they had to hide film around the boat like I don't know behind pot plants or whatever so that in the middle of this half an hour long continuous performance while one camera was filming the other camera was like reloading there's bits where like Kendall has to uh, frantically find his sister on the boat Mm. and they didn't tell their actor where his sister would be so he's really looking for her he's really looking for her there was a really interesting interview that you got me to watch where um, they're having a really private personal uh, phone call with their dad uh, and his da- their dad is uh, really unwell and they're trying to find like a little corner of the really crowded boat to talk to him in. Mm. And the director was like, well, I really wanted them to stand in this specific spot, but I didn't want to tell them that. And so what I did was we had this big half an hour long take and they're feeling very immersed in it. And so I put bartenders staffing a bar there so they wouldn't stand there. And I put a crowd of people there so they wouldn't stand there. And so then like he just like naturally put these like organic elements into the scene because they would want to move away from those people yeah felt like they would want to move away from those people and it's Mm. uh, but every single interview has a thing like that a little nugget like that we're like oh man i love that you're very generous with what they what they talk about yeah Yeah, which is really great yeah Yeah. um that good interview is notes on a scene with mark milo yeah if you want to chuck that into youtube i think it's a fun show to be a wanker about but it's also a fun funny show yeah it is really funny it's yeah. it's really 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 funny yeah um i think part of the reason why it's so funny is like they get to play with so much of the tragedy that happens in it and and the absurdity that comes from that tragedy it's perfect yeah. for comedy writing so yeah yeah uh hidden heroes in that series are like the entire camera department because the way that they manage to capture like they don't do i, I think they don't do that many rehearsals they don't generally tell the camera people like where the actors are going to move and because they're giving them so much <laughs> yeah, freedom. they Yeah, exactly. But then, you know, they have to fucking chase these people and <laughs> and it really doesn't... Oh, you were saying this one thing where they, they're like running backwards. Yeah, because there, there's yeah. a... The, the, the bit where Kendall's looking for Shiv, like yeah. the camera goes in front of him and, yeah. and is, is facing pointing backwards walking yeah, ahead yeah, of him yeah. and like I don't know if they knew that they were going <laughs> to end up doing that so yeah. maybe they did but either way, it rules it, either the, way. The, the, the cinematography in that show is incredible mm. and the fact that they the, the, I, I feel like the camera team also almost has to be in the scene as much as the actors do because they have to be so aware of all of their surroundings they have to be not bumping into extras or whatever they have to be so mobile and reactive to what's going on that it feels like they are making choices because it's what it's almost like you know it's it's almost like the director has said just just point at what you would want to be looking at yeah you know what i mean and and then the camera people just have to go like okay i guess i'll just invest in the scene and i'll try and really make sure that i'm looking at the thing that i would want to be watching because Mm. that's probably what the audience is going to want to be looking at and it just feels so beautiful the whole so, show rips. Uh, yeah i just think it's it, it's it's not made in a way that a lot of other shows are made and i'm kind of in awe at how they made it such a good show yeah i feel like um <laughs> a friend of the show pat was talking about how much he loved connor and i'm a bit disappointed that connor didn't have as much of a send-off in the final episode right but yeah. he had so many great moments all season my favorite uh, the reason i mentioned it because i found it in my notes because I, I wrote it down because i like the line so much it's on the election night where connor says ah it makes an election so much more interesting when you're in it <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's he's so good peak fucking connor moment yeah my Dude favorite so line good. of his was like when um, Roman is like, everyone here thinks you're fucking stupid. Everyone here thinks you're a joke. Oh, and, yeah. And he just says, um, well, there's one person here 
that doesn't think I'm a joke and I'm going to listen to them. And it's about fucking his wife. But she also fucking does. Yeah, I know. It's she's so, their their relationship is so funny. Oh man, um, Justine Loop. Yeah, the shit where um, he finds out he's not going to be able to um, go away for as long as she thought. After yeah, all, and yeah. she's like, oh. Yeah, the expression on her face is so much nonverbal <laughs> acting. It's so fucking good. Anyway, um, all right, enough succession talk. So. Um, yeah, I've been watching... I dipped into a couple of other shows that I've already seen. Um, I started re-watching Stargate SG-1, which is like a childhood joy of mine. Well, let's face it, it was a pretty wild ride. Yes. Personally, I don't think we should be getting off that ride just yet. But their order's just the same, and I, for one, follow order. Even though we are the only line of defense protecting this planet. If we don't go through what I saw in the other reality could happen here, this whole planet could be wiped out. You don't think I tried everything to prevent this shutdown? The Stargate will be buried, literally and figuratively. It was an honor serving with you. Yeah, we've been friends for so long that I've heard about this show ever since we were about yeah, 10. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm happy to confirm. So obviously it's got its problems. Yeah. Um, it does a lot of like. Uh, I, I don't want to. I don't want to say white savior, but I guess maybe it is that of like you know. Um, is it Star? So if if someone never no one's heard of Stargate, is it kind of Star Trekky? And if you say it's basically Star Trek but a different show, is that no, enough of a it's, comparison? It's not really Star Trek, and I don't really know. I think a lot of other shows that came after Stargate were in, influenced by it, but it also right. ran for such a long time that um, it. Uh, it sort of kept doing its thing for a while. But yeah. basically, there's this military base um, with this thing called the Stargate. And the show starts off... So, there was a film, like a feature film that happened with uh, Kurt Russell and James Spader, which is kind of Fuck. wild. I didn't really... When I first watched it, I didn't really know who those guys were because I was pretty young. I, wish but, Big, I watched uh, Big Trouble in Little China the other night. Mm. And Kurt Russell is the most handsome yeah, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. He looks like cartoon, handsome movie star Yeah, man. he's like beef... Beefcake guy. Oh my yeah. god, he looks incredible. It rips. Every single, like all those big, like classic, like it was a big trouble little China the thing. thing. Yeah, he looks awesome. He's so good. Um, so yeah, I, I can't really vouch for the for the feature film, but it happens before, like the story events happen to set up the first the pilot. So it this before the TV series then. Yes. Yeah. Right. And I so, didn't know that. Uh, bottom bottom line is, so they've got this thing in the basement of this top secret military complex called the Stargate, and. Um, Years prior, so the, the Stargate connects to another Stargate and it forms a wormhole between the two things and it lets you travel between planets. You need a code of seven symbols and there's lots of different symbols. And if you dial these seven symbols, this particular combination, it takes you to this other planet. And um, the basically what so happens you, is... So with one Stargate, you can go to loads of different planets. It, and well, you just need the so they don't know that at first. So right. basically the point of the pilot is... Um, they, they went on this mission a few years back and uh, they found this ancient... So, the, the, the setup is that the gods of ancient Egypt uh, were actually aliens. They came down, they enslaved ancient Egyptians and, and they're not gods, they're aliens, but they told them that they were their gods. Oh, hell yeah. And they took humans with them because they're actually a species of parasitic snake that need hosts to inhabit. And so, right. they, they took humans to basically breed them as their perfect hosts and they've spread them throughout the galaxy in little colonies of places they can go to go and get new bodies. Right. And so, um, what happens in the original movie is they go to this other planet, 
they meet all these local people. They um, stage an uprising. They kill the god. And then the end of the thing is that one of the team members, who's this anthropologist, is like, you guys go back through and tell them I died. Uh, we, we will bury the Stargate so that no one can ever come back. And um, uh, we'll, they've detonated a nuclear explosion that killed this guy, the god. Damn. So it's kind of wrapped up. This guy stays on the planet and the, the other three members of the team go back through and they say, we had to detonate a nuke. Uh, the anthropologist didn't make it and the Stargate's been destroyed. And so then what happens in the start of the pilot is <laughs> a, a bunch of these alien, the, 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 they're called the Gould, they come through the Stargate. And so that's shocking because they thought that the Stargate was destroyed. Right. And um, it turns out, yeah, they came from a different one. And based on stuff that the anthropologist guy found on his planet, they realize, oh, uh, because the universe is expanding, none of, none of the combinations we've tried work because they're all basically out of date. But now that we know what the originals were and we know the rate of expansion, we can adjust all of our coordinates and we can go to heaps of different planets. This show sounds way crazier than I thought it was. It's really fucking good. And it's also, I guess, like... Is it a US, UK show? It's Canadian, but it's based in... Uh, it's set in America. Right. And so, I guess the it's a procedural in so far as, uh, you know, they the, 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 the setup of each episode is usually they're going to a new planet and they don't know what they'll find there. But it also has all of these really long-running characters and and through lines and different stories. Um, And it gets quite like, I don't know, I I think it struggles a little bit with um, some of the, like, you know, white savior type problematic writing that I was talking about at at the start of the first season. But I think they really wisened up to it and sort of stopped doing a lot of that kind of stuff. And um, it actually has, like, remarkably well... And 80s and 90s sci-fi is a real problem in terms of, like, female characters. But it's actually got really remarkably well-written female characters as well. Um, I think it's, I think it holds up. It's, it's a little, you know, I don't know. It it shows its age a little bit, but honestly, like the performances are like 10 out of 10s and the writing is really of a high quality considering that, uh, when it was written. And I think all of that combined with the fact that they put a lot of budget into the production design and the effects means that it's actually really compelling. Okay. Um, The movie has really bad ratings. Yes. So the movie is notoriously like kind of mediocre and you don't need to watch it to start the series. So you're talking about Stargate SG-1. Yes. That's the series. It's Richard Dean Anderson who played MacGyver is the main character. Although uh, there's a lot of different, it's kind of it because it's a long running TV series. You get a lot of time with each character, which is great. Anyway, Point being, I went back in on it with kind of low expectations because I watched it when I was pretty young. But it's actually really held up. It's a really good comfort show. Oh, that rules. Um, the music is great. And I don't know. I think there's enough that, you know, if you just chucked it on and you were doing something else, you could probably, like, watch it as a background kind of thing. <laughs> and they they have a lot of fun with it. But it's also, like I said, you know what we were talking about, about things being really entertaining? I think it's really entertaining. Damn. And I really love that. So, yeah. I, I, <laughs> you tricked me. You're like, Oscar, you did say you like entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I don't know. You know, it's it's a little hammy and a little cheesy at points, but I really think if you can just get past, there's a couple of episodes in the start of season one. I'd just say skip because they're not consequential and they're a little stupid. But once you get past that bump, um, the second half of season one onwards is like Damn. great. And how many so seasons are there? Shitloads, right? There's fucking ten. Damn. They're forty-four minute episodes, so yeah. kind of halfway between your normal. 
TV halfway now. Halfway between an hour and half. And like, an hour. it's not a Seinfeld episode, you know. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, really good. I've been really enjoying it. If you watched it as a kid and you want a comfort show that you can return to, I think it's great. I'm watching it through Amazon Prime Brutal. or Prime Video, but you also it's one of those fucking annoying things where you have to pay for a channel on Amazon Prime. Is it on Paramount Plus? It's on. I don't think it is. No, it's on the MGM channel. On, oh my god. On it, so you can find. I didn't it. know they have multiple channels. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was so, going to say if you're paying for Paramount Plus, you got to watch Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks. Yeah, I've got Twin Peaks on DVD, so I'm going to go in on that oh, soon. Yeah. Twin Peaks rules. Yeah, I'm keen to keen first to go season in. of Twin Peaks, and then like second half season. of the second season, <laughs> right? And then apparently the third one's really third good. One's the really second good. season yeah, is a slog. Yeah, right. Um, so yeah, anyway, that's enough Stargate, but I love that show, and I think it kind of holds up um, wildly. I just <laughs> started rewatching Severance with Lou. Um, that show show. absolutely fucking rips and it was really interesting I I read a headline that um, Laura told me about actually uh, which is um, basically that the showrunners fucking hate each other (laughs) Um, (laughs) it's like Adam McKay and Will Ferrell yeah uh, hang on I'll I'll just quickly pull this up okay so they were already like it was already going to experience I think a shutdown for the writer's strike but Um, this is no! back in April. No, April if Severance gets killed, I'm going to be so fucking. I don't upset. think it will be, but I'm a little worried about the second season. Anyway, uh, listen to this. So, showrunners of Severance hate for each other is causing problems for season two. No, the second season of the critically acclaimed Apple TV original Severance is becoming a headache with delays caused by the showrunners hating each other. The first season <laughs> of the Ben Stiller directed. Near-future thriller Severance received numerous nominations and was very well-received by viewers and critics alike. While filming for the second season started in October 2022, Uh it seems that the show may return to Apple TV Plus later than originally intended due to some production problems. The biggest issue is with the showrunners, as Dan Erickson and Mark Friedman apparently hated each other by the end of the first season. (laughs) The disputes between the pair escalated to the point that Friedman decided he didn't want to work on the show after that season. While he was encouraged to stay for the second, the decision apparently didn't result in a smoother production stiller attempted to find someone to replace friedman but after determining he didn't like any of the other options stuck with the showrunner if the show survives into a second and third season Bo willimon of house of cards will apparently be on duty to help with showrunning duties so there you go um kind of interesting but anyway so the that's that's that whole season is just so insanely compelling i think it's amazing how they um give you that they like show you things that are so fascinating but that make no sense you just ask so many questions you're like wait what the fuck is with that oh that's insane what's going on and then by the end of that series like most of those questions it's answered to you in such a satisfying way so good i mean and the way it ends in the first season great show if you've got an apple tv plus subscription which you probably do because they will not stop chucking that shit at you for free (laughs) oh yeah but i mean you specifically you've got to watch this fucking space show i was talking about for all mankind for all mankind god it rules it's on my list so anyway to the top of that list just started rewatching severance that show's great um but yeah uh, we've already talked about it so um highly wreck that again uh and I think the last thing I've been watching, I've only watched TV series starting with S. Um, the last one is, uh, I've been going in on Seinfeld. Fuck yeah. In so a big we, way. So we haven't talked about Seinfeld since the last episode. Yeah. And I feel like Seinfeld's one of these things where I, I got onto it a couple months ago, or maybe last year, um, and really went deep on it and loved it. And I've been telling you for ages, like, brother... You gotta watch something. Yeah, yeah. It rules. And it I think rips. I've just seen so many things mm. that either like are 
it's like, oh, that's a reference to Seinfeld mm. or like, you know, you see all these like Seinfeld memes and shit. I was like, there's got to be, this is so beloved. There's got to be enough here for me to go in on. Yeah. And yeah, confirmed. It's very good. So, the thing that I think surprised me the most about Seinfeld, we've talked about it offline before, mm. is just the idea that like, um, it doesn't, it feels like a really niche underground show. Like the reason that I like it is because it's these people being dirt bags and selfish pieces of shit. Uh, and I think like, and oh, you really relate to that. It's, it's yeah. I, I honestly think that like every character in Seinfeld to some degree is a piece of shit. They are. But yeah. 100%. To some degree, you understand why they're doing what you're doing. And yeah. you're like, Oh, if I was in just the right position, I would have done that. Right. No, I get it. I get it. I think and, like- And like, you're like, I get that what they're doing is reprehensible, but for each of them at some point in each episode, you're like, no, I get it. I wish that was me. Yeah. And Larry David talked about these thoughts that you have that are like bad thoughts. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm going to paraphrase this in a bad way, but basically yeah. he was saying like, you know, you're at a wake and you're, or like a funeral and you're mm. like, oh, I don't want to talk to the fucking widow or whatever. <laughs> and and then I, I guess he kind of just pushed that enough where he was like, well, what if a character like avoided talking to the widow <laughs> and then like got in trouble for it? You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, it's like those thoughts that you have or like someone pushes in front of you in line and you're like, oh, it's not worth it. I'll just leave it. Yeah. And, and the character is like unable to leave it alone. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're unable to ignore those thoughts that most yeah. people just ignore. And so, what blows my mind is that this was the most popular show on television. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. it doesn't feel it, it feels like a bit of an underground show when you're watching it. Mm. Like it, it feels a or it bit, doesn't feel like it should have as broad of an appeal no, as it does. It, yeah, it feels like you're watching it in this hipster way. We are like, oh, I know why I like. It. Yeah. Oh, but this is really funny because it's very clever. But I don't yeah. know why anyone else likes it. It's yeah. Like, yeah. You're loving it. Yeah, it's great. And Fun. like episode twenty minutes long, so they're super easy to crank through. I think I'm like. Uh, I'm on to season five or something. Mm. You were telling me Larry David leaves after like season nine or eight or something. Uh, the last two seasons, Larry David isn't involved. And right. they're good and they have really fun uh, and iconic bits in them. Right. But the, but the show premises is are a little weirder. A lot sillier yeah. and less grounded. Yeah. And so it's less like people being assholes in really human ways and more like just a silly sitcom. But right. It's still yeah. fun. Yeah, I'm not going to not watch it. But, and it's like they've uh, yeah, done seven seasons of like, you know, fucking seven, seven times 20, whatever it is, yeah. like fucking 200 episodes of like the stuff you want. Grounded stuff. Wouldn't yeah. blame them doing something a bit different. No, yeah, fair enough. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm still keen for that. But yeah, that's basically what I've been watching. And I mean, I <laughs> feels a little ridiculous. It's 2023 for me to be like, uh, uh, Seinfeld, pretty good show. Check it out. I think honestly, like, but I, I actually don't I, know that many. I mean, most of my friends have watched it, I suppose. I was going to say, I think you and I are in the last in our friend group to watch yeah, it. But I yeah. feel like if you haven't watched it, it's not like Friends where like Friends was a popular show and I feel like it's kind of dated and I feel yeah, like it's a bit no. cute or a bit quaint or a yeah. bit like... I like Friends. Big fan of Friends. Yeah, but I, I feel like found it a little kind of saccharine. I don't know. It is a bit though, right? Yeah. But I feel like Seinfeld... It doesn't feel like it's dated at all. No, no. I mean, the ways that it feels dated are just in some of the... Like, basically, some of the characters' opinions. Like, you know, especially Jerry. Like, he's got a little bit of that, like, 90s man. Like, oh, why do I need to worry about this? Or, like, I really care if if the woman I'm dating has real tits or fake tits. You know, it's like... (laughs) There's a bit of that. But I think the show isn't... The show isn't saying that he's... Mm. fair enough to be yeah. worried about that but it's the show is saying like 
only a morally questionable man (laughs) would be obsessed with this type of thing. They're all like like deeply egotistical and flawed. Exactly. Even then when he's when he's dating the girl and he's worried about like whether her tits are fake or not. Yeah. The show is laughing at itself, being like, imagine being this obsessed with and getting this like (laughs) putting yourself into such a awkward and uncomfortable situation (laughs) and like the, you know, the characters, like, never fully confronting their problems, just always trying to go about it in an underhanded yeah. way that obviously backfires. <laughs> and a character tells them it's going to backfire and they don't listen because they're all fucking awful. My favorite bit about it is that it makes you appreciate those, like, signs. This isn't my favorite thing about it, but it's one of the things I like about it, is it makes you appreciate those, like, Seinfeld 2020 modern Seinfeld Twitter accounts when they have, like... It'll be like uh, just an episode. George, George George gets catfished by someone on Tinder, yeah, uh, yep. or whatever, and like, and it, it fucking nails it. You realize how note perfect they are, and yeah. how like I don't know if you read any any individual Seinfeld episode premise, you're like, fuck, that's a great idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Just really, obviously, like you know, a bunch of um, a bunch of incredibly talented TV writers, comedy writers, mm. at their firing on all cylinders. Oh, you know, yeah. it's a little like The Simpsons early yeah. seasons. It's like just lightning in a bottle. Uh, <laughs> really talented people working on it. Yeah. So yeah, really good. The other absolute pleasure of the show is seeing so many, uh, like I suppose, TV character actors that you're familiar with from other places just yeah. like pop up as these little guest appearances or Skyler something. from Breaking Bad. There's so many. Dr. Cox's yeah. wife. A lot of them scrubs. are like, yeah, the dates. Yeah. <laughs> the Jerry's like, Jerry's squeeze that episode or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, and really, really love that. Another thing I love that I think you hate is how much Jerry is just like almost almost breaking in every single episode. Yeah, God, he can't fucking hold a, a straight <laughs> no, face to can't. fucking save his life. I feel like if he, if there was another character that was doing that, like, they would have fired them, you know what yeah. I mean? Um, like, I know uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, like, breaks a lot, and there's a lot of outtakes where she's the one that breaks in a scene, but um, mm. she really holds it most times, so... It's really it's, interesting yeah. the way she's written. I've, read, I've read interviews, mm. I've, I've watched, like, video essays and listen to interviews and stuff where they talk about like how like um her character isn't written like another necessarily like, a, like, like other stereotypical female woman. characters yeah. like it's um she's just she's just like one of the fellas yeah she behaves <laughs> in i mean she ha- she's written differently but a yeah. lot of the choices that she makes are exactly like the choices that the other characters make in that they're morally corrupt, horrible people. You know? <laughs> yeah. So she's just written as like a bit of a dirtbag, which she, is great. She fucking rules. Yeah, it's really good. The thing that I think this most obviously gave birth to is um, Always Sunny. Mm. And so I'm kind of keen to go in on that. There's after. an Always Sunny episode where they recreate the... Um the episode it's the the competition to not the, jerk off or something yeah, right yeah. yeah they recreate yeah. that there's a scene where they, they recreate a scene from that like shot for shot well yeah where no, two people address yeah because they couldn't agree <laughs> on who was jerry so they just have two jerry's <laughs> so funny really good so i'm kind of keen on that show i think it gets a little more like ridiculous than seinfeld it's like does, seinfeld on crack yeah the first yeah. i think i think literally the first episode of it's always sunny um one of the guys goes to an anti-abortion rally to hit on a girl yep. and then switches sides in the rally when yep. he sees a hotter girl on the other side. But I mean, that that <laughs> sounds like it could be a Seinfeld premise. It's just like, I guess yeah. anti-abortion rallies weren't as like socially relevant as yeah. they are for the Always Sunny crowd. So I feel like it's going to be a satisfying like 
modern adjustment. You know what I mean? Be- and also, Always Sunny is still going, which is crazy. I think they're up to like season fucking 17 or 18 yeah. or something. I've so. seen interviews where Insane. they're like, I think people forgot that we were still going. <laughs> I, I didn't know. I thought it was like a 10 season no, show or like something. they were like studio execs. They were like, oh, I, don't, right. I don't know why like, they just let us keep going. Yeah, we're just yeah. on the books. I mean, they must be. What network is it with? FX, I think. Yeah, they must still be pretty fucking popular. So, yeah, yeah that's cool. Favorite so, Seinfeld yeah. episode. Uh, I mean, the, the iconic ones are iconic for a reason. Like the car park one, yeah, where Kramer is carrying around a, an, an air, air conditioner conditioning in a box, box for yep. most of the time. Apparently, for most of the episode, that's a real uh, air conditioner. I, in I that can't box. imagine that. And they are yeah. so so heavy. Yeah, uh, Michael Richards would have told them probably like, no, make it a real air conditioner yeah, so I can really do the physical comedy. He did, yeah. and there's a bit at the end of the episode where he's like loading it into the car and smacks his smacks his head on yeah, the car Yeah, and they do more than one take of that because in the first take, <laughs> Julia Louis-Dreyfus <laughs> fucking loses it. And uh, yeah, he turns to oh, her man. at one point and says, I really hurt myself, Elaine. And that's what cracks her. It's so fucking funny. Yeah, um, yeah I think, I don't know. And I, I know that like talking about Michael Richards is like a little fraught now because everyone knows he had that insane rant where he said some incredibly racist stuff. Oh yeah, crazy. But I will say this. His performance of Kramer so is good. one of the greatest comedic, comedic so performances ever committed to film. Every it, time it is, he is putting his entire being into that he's character. So fucking it's funny. It's unbelievable. It's so crazy. It's not a, I thought it would be a slapstick kind of role. No, it's incredible. But it's every moment. He's just so in the fucking scene, trying to. You can tell he's tried to game out what the funniest possible thing for him mm. to do in that moment would be and, it's, and it's, he's often succeeding it's really interesting watching the bloopers where he is the most serious actor out of all yeah, of them and yeah. like he's taking it, it the most seriously in for the sure. bloopers where someone breaks and he gets really annoyed and he's like no no sh- sh- shut the fuck up we're filming Let- let's get back to it it's because he has like he's like very specifically and analytically doing what he's doing like precisely yeah he is he is uh yes he is set a very precise performance out. And I think, mm. like, it's interesting. I think he has talked about feeling like he wishes he'd enjoyed it more. And I guess he means, like, taking the time to relax about yeah. it. But I really think he was just so funny. working <laughs> yeah. so fucking hard. The fall from grace it's, that it's, he had. I really respect his performance. Me too, man. As I, much as, like, as a person, I, you know, yeah, yeah I mean, we don't know it. what he's like as a person. He had that one bad day for all we know. But, like, yeah. the, the fall from grace that that represents Ugh. where it's like, man, he really was, like, the funniest motherfucker on television yeah. for, like, for years, years. And years, and years and the fact yeah. that he's just not in anything now i think uh he had a lot of trouble after seinfeld getting past typecast and, yeah, yeah i think probably. i don't know it didn't see, i think by the time the rant happened his career had already been in yeah, like okay. a fair bit of trouble so i well, i'm not i don't think i mean by that point i think people were like yeah okay we're, we we yeah. can't touch you with a 10 foot pole but yeah. before that i think he wasn't doing that great anyway and i'm not yeah. really sure i mean i don't know i i don't know if he could like what range he has i haven't seen him do any other parts or anything no, but i do feel like you know he was perfect for kramer and um mm. it, it's tough to imagine him doing other stuff so i can kind of understand why he yeah. he had some issues and- but yeah, anyway. Definitely. I will say so i haven't actually watched so the final two episodes the second last episode is um a montage episode and then the final episode is the final episode uh, I haven't watched those two when you get to those last two I've gone straight back to season three 
Start it again. Start it again. <laughs> You're never going to finish Seinfeld. Yeah. No, yeah. I don't want to. Yeah. Well, uh, I was kind of on my phone for the last season and then um, was enjoying it, but like uh, passively watching it. Yeah. Uh, and then got to like the second last episode and thought, no. No, oh, no, fuck! <laughs> I've squandered this. Yeah, yeah. I haven't, I haven't been uh, living in the moment. Um, yeah. To add one more television, I haven't watched this, but well, I've watched all of it. But Great. to add one more uh, show that you should watch, starting with S, to your list, Great. the fucking Sopranos, dude. Oh, uh, I, I was it just saying to someone, I need a new show. Fucking believable. And binge, uh, you know, I, I'm resigned to just having to keep the binge subscription forever. Yeah, yep. um, yeah. Because binge has Sopranos. Yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. I have to watch it. Honestly, I think I started and then just. Couldn't get into it for no good reason at all, but yeah. I'll, I'll start it again. I, I'm not. I think it starts off because it's just by virtue of like what it's doing with Tony Soprano as a character. I think it starts off a little slow, and mm. you got to kind of. It's one of those shows where it's doing something, and you have to get used to what it's doing, and then you'll really love well, it. I think I was watching it at the same time as something else, uh, and I, I, I'm good. I'm good with the show when I have like one show. Sure, yeah. 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 I mean, I, I don't need to tell you like The Sopranos is worth your time or anything, but um, but I, I remember watching, I think I kind of was, you know, first, first handful of episodes, I was like, this is obviously really good, but I can't quite see why people love it as much as they do. And then I finished like, you know, I, I have the Blu-rays and I like, mm. you know, I took the Blu-ray out of the end of the first season and put the fucking one in for the second season. <laughs> it's like, I am in this shit. Something that reminded me of getting back to watching it was people saying, people don't talk about how Succession's a comedy, but it is. And someone mm. said the same thing about The Sopranos, where they said people don't talk about how The Sopranos is a comedy, but it is. I would say for both of those shows, I, I mean, I, we, I, I know you kind of disagreed with him and I, I, I get that like you can have different opinions about it, but oh, um, here we go. <laughs> no, Jeremy Strong got fucking rinsed for that comment that he made where he's, mm. he says, I think Succession is a tragedy. And in that interview with Mark Mylode, right yeah. at the end, he says, I actually agree with Jeremy Strong. Strong. It is a tragedy. Yeah. It's just also an incredibly funny show. Yeah. And The Sopranos oh, I think the is exactly th- like that. The funny thing in that headline is Jeremy Strong insisting he can't see the funny side in it, which I think is just him sure, being too yeah. deep in the performance. Yeah, yeah, for but, sure. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, you know, he said, like, I know there's jokes and stuff, but as yeah. a, he, it's not like a, you know, I mean, it's definitely not like a Greek tr- uh, comedy where, it, like, the characters learn to overcome their flaws by the end of it and succeed because of that. Like, it's, yeah, it yeah. is firmly rooted in tragedy. So, and The Sopranos mm. is exactly the same. Um, oh, yeah. Also, like, a very fucking funny show. I would say it's, like, less funny than Succession, but when you get to know the characters the way that they play. The way that they put the characters in situations that is mm. darkly funny. I would yeah. compare it to how, not the first season of Breaking Bad, but how Breaking Bad has funny moments yeah, during yeah, its yeah. runtime, yeah. but is overall quite a serious show. Yeah. I would say Sopranos is like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, look, but I'm, similarly of a high quality of writing. It's a good rec. I'll go back to watch it in six weeks when the next Beef Station episode comes out. Yeah, great. Um, <laughs> I probably will have seen all of the Sopranos. Excellent. So we'll see how we yeah, go. Yeah. Uh, there's a bunch of shit coming out soon that we're definitely going to cover. So I reckon stay tuned. Into, I, I think last, last episode's description, we sort of... Didn't tell you what we were going to do, but mm. the, the, we got enough stuff coming up soon that yeah, you watched Spider Verse. I haven't seen it yet, so I got to go and watch that. Uh, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Watch yeah. it. We don't have to do it yet, but I yeah. suppose my point is that like, stay tuned for the description because I think the description for this week will definitely have something good that you can watch and keep track of for next week's episode. Mm. I feel like this was a bit of a catch up, casual, silly app. So yeah. thanks for uh, thanks for sticking with us for this one. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed hanging out with us. Uh, if you want to email us and tell us what you've been watching or tell us what you want us to watch, beefstationpod at gmail.com. We'd really love 
input. So messages. Yeah, yep. bunch of other stuff. If you're enjoying the show, let us know. Get in contact. Uh, all the shit is in the description. Uh, as always, thanks for listening. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. Bye. Thanks. Bye. 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 Bye